Please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. As you leave today at all four exits, we'll have some ushers handing out some chocolates, a gift um, from us to you. It says we love you with 1 John 4, 19, because he first loved us. Amen. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Today is part three in our series entitled Jonah, God's Unrelenting Pursuit of You. Today we're going to read through the prayer Jonah prayed while in the belly of a great fish. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There are three main parts to today's message. Jonah's rebellion, Jonah's repentance, and Jonah's redemption. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we love you. Oh, what a joy to be in your presence. Thank you for coming and inhabiting the praises of your people. Your grace truly is amazing. We're so grateful for your faithfulness, for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our helper, our comforter, the one who walks alongside of us, our teacher. I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit you would speak through your servant today. I pray you would be glorified through the preaching of your word. That the body of Christ would be edified, built up, and strengthened. And we pray, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would do what only he can. Open the hearts of the seekers, those who are searching, looking for a savior. We pray through the power of your spirit, you would open hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Jesus alone saves. He is the savior of the world. He's not a savior. He is the savior. And so we pray that this reality, this truth would come alive in hearts of of individuals here today. We give it all to you. We ask humbly in the beautiful, powerful, redeeming name of our savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, amen. Jonah's rebellion, Jonah's repentance, and Jonah's redemption. We'll begin with Jonah's rebellion in chapter 1. We've looked at chapter 1 the last couple of Sundays. The prophet of God um, disobeys God's call and rebels against him. God told Jonah to go east to Nineveh, but he runs the opposite direction and goes west to Tarshish. Well, he tried. He had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. Jesus said pertaining to the will of God in in the gospel of John chapter 4 verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. To Jesus, the will of God was food that satisfied him in every way. To Jonah, the will of God was foolishness that soured him and caused him to run the other way. 
Not only did Jonah have a wrong attitude toward the will of God, he had a wrong attitude to the the word of God. In the very beginning of this book, uh, Jonah writes that the word of the Lord came to him, but he had a wrong attitude to the word of the Lord, the word of God. Jonah Jonah thought obeying God's word was, was optional. Maybe there's some of us who have a little bit of that Jonah in us. We, we think that obeying God's word is optional. Well, he only, he only means this, this part here or, or, or this section here or, or this truth here. However, when God's word commands us, disobedience is never an option. Amen? Or oh me. Jesus asked in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 46 But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Jonah forgot that it was a great privilege to be a prophet, someone who hears the word of the Lord and and, and speaks for God, to hear God's word and, and know God's will. Jonah thinks. He has the right to turn in his resignation. He forgot that God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. According to Romans 11, verse 29, we we see that the gifts of God are irrevocable. At one time or another during their ministries, Moses and Elijah and and Jeremiah felt like giving up, but God wouldn't let them. His his calling, his gifts are irrevocable. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul shared a timely word spoken to him by the Lord to encourage the believers in Corinth to be faithful to their calling. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. In our greatest point of weakness, God's strength is made known. Not only to us, but to those who see us. And this is a personal word for the Apostle Paul. It's believed that Paul had some sort of physical condition that had become burdensome. We really don't know. The Bible called it a thorn in the flesh. It was a drain on him physically and emotionally, and maybe it messed with him spiritually, but I'm sure it made him or it made it hard for him at times to fulfill his calling. This thorn in the flesh was a distraction. He pleaded, as you read through um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he pleaded with the Lord for it to depart from him, but instead God basically told him that he was going to have to live with it for the rest of his life. But at the same time, God gave him grace to face it grace to face it i like the the rhythm of that grace to face it how many need grace to face it fill in the word it grace to face it i I like that the apostle paul was going to learn how to experience the sufficient grace of god even when his life 
didn't make sense. This call that God had put on his life didn't make sense to Jonah. We can identify. I know I can. God's calling on Jonah's life didn't make sense to Jonah. He wanted to quit, but God said, and oh, God said no. I believe this is a word for someone here today as I was praying and as I was just reading through the scriptures. Really since the Holy Spirit put this on my heart. You feel like giving up. Fill in the blank. Yes, pastor, I feel like giving up on. Fill in the blank. The Lord has a word for you today. Fill in the blank. God has a word for you today. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I believe that's a word for someone here today, a specific word for someone here today. You you see, from heaven's perspective, grace, God's grace is always enough. God supplies us with as much grace as we need for every single situation we face. Just suppose that God came to you today and said, I'm going to give you something in your life that you won't necessarily like. But it's something that you need. How would you respond You see, Jonah needed Nineveh as much as Nineveh needed Jonah. It's in doing the will of God and obeying the word of God that we grow in God's grace and become more like Christ. Jonah had a wrong attitude toward the will of God. He had a wrong attitude toward the word of God and toward his circumstances. Jonah on the run, he he thinks his circumstances were working in his favor. He fled to Joppa and and, and found just the right ship waiting for him. We talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago, a ship going west to Tarshish. He had enough money to purchase his ticket and he boards the ship and even found a good place down in the lowest part the text tells us of the ship to sleep and not be bothered by anyone he didn't want anything to do with anybody on that ship he wanted to be left to himself in church it's possible to be out of the will of God and still have circumstances appear to be working on your behalf while rebelling against God, you can have false, a false sense of security, thinking and feeling like everything is going in your favor. Jonah was misreading his circumstances. There's always a calm before a storm. Jonah had a wrong attitude to the will of God, the word of God, his circumstances, and he had a wrong attitude attitude toward the Gentiles. And instead of wanting to help them find the true and living God, he wanted to leave them to their spiritual darkness and death. This is important that we understand. Jonah the Jew becomes a curse instead of a blessing. You see, God called the Jews to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3 says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, 
to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. You see why it's so important that we stand with Israel. Just a little side note. Jonah had no interest in being a blessing to the Assyrians in, in Nineveh. He, he had none. We, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. He, he hated the Assyrians. They were, they were evil. They were wicked. They were barbaric. They took the lives of many of his, of his people, of his own family members. Whenever the Jews were out of the will of God and disobeying the word of God, they brought trouble instead of blessing. We see in the Old Testament, twice Abraham brought trouble because he lied. We see this in, in reading Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 20. Achan in the Old Testament brought trouble to Israel's army because he robbed God. And we see this in reading Joshua chapter 7. Jonah brought trouble to a boatload of sailors because he rebelled against the will of God and against the word of God. In church, the same is true of us. When we rebel against the will of God, and the word of God, instead of bringing blessing, we bring trouble, lots of trouble. Not only to ourselves, but oftentimes to those that are closest to us, to those that we love the most. Where in your life, here's a wonderful question to ask ourselves, where in your life are you rebelling against the Lord? When we say no to God, we are rebelling against God. Jonah no longer hearing the voice of God because he stopped listening to the word of God. When you say, Pastor, uh, uh, I'm not hearing the, 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 the voice of God. When, when, you, when you stop listening to the word of God, you're going to not hear the voice of of God. Jonah no longer hearing the voice of God because he stopped listening to the word of God. And so the Lord chose to speak to Jonah through his work. He speaks to him through the sea. He, he speaks to him through the wind. He speaks to him through the rain. He speaks to him through the thunder and even in the belly of a great fish. What really hit me here is how everything in nature obeyed God except his prophet. The sea obeyed him, the wind obeyed him, the rain obeyed him, the thunder obeyed him, and this great fish obeyed him, but his prophet didn't obey him. The one thing made in his image and likeness didn't obey him. Are you obeying God? Jonah suffers because of his rebellion. Charles Spurgeon said that God never allows his children to sin successfully, and Jonah is proof. You might get away with it for a while, but the reality is you're not getting away with it. It's going to come to roost. It might appear that you're getting away with your sin, but sooner or later you will meet the discipline of God's hand. Church, for us to rebel against God's will and disobey God's word as Jonah did is to invite God's 
discipline into our lives. How many right now are giving an invitation to God to discipline you? Because of your disobedience. Pastor, you're asking a lot of questions today. I want to ask you another one. Are you rebelling against the will of God? Are you rebelling against the word of God? To say no to God is to rebel against God. When God speaks, it's not optional. In Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, Jonah prays a prayer of repentance. There are several things we learn from his repentance, but before we walk through his prayer of repentance, I think it's important that we have a biblical understanding of repentance. The Bible says in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. True repentance is key to life transformation. Let's consider a couple of important truths about biblical um, repentance. But before we do, let's consider for just a moment what, it's, what it is not. Number one, repentance is not confession. Many of us have found ourselves over and over again confessing the same sin to God and wondering why we can't overcome it. We identify with the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Romans 7.15, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Confessing our sins means we agree with God that what we did is wrong or what we are doing is sinful. But confessing our sins doesn't change anything. That alone will not keep us from repeating that same sin. The missing link is biblical repentance. I can remember several years ago just being burdened as a shepherd is for the flock and And just for months and months and months praying for a couple individuals who were asking for prayer as they confessed a certain sin over and 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 over again and just burdened praying one one day god why why isn't this person free it's like every week they 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 come and and they want me to pray and 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 they're praying a prayer of confession and it's it's the same sin over and over and over and over and why aren't they getting the victory and i'll never forget it the lord spoke to my heart because there's a difference between confessing your sin and repenting from your sin Oftentimes, we start and end with confession, but we don't follow that confession with with true heart, biblical repentance. And there's a sufficient grace in heaven that gives us the strength 
to truly repent and turn from that sin. I'm so grateful for that sufficient grace. And I know I'm not alone here today. We're all grateful and thankful for that sufficient grace that comes to us from heaven. And so the missing link is biblical repentance. Repentance is not confession. Though it's important that we confess our sin, and there's a promise when we do with, with a pure heart that he's, just, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so thankful for, for the cleansing of heaven. Amen, church? Repentance is not feeling sorrowful. It's not confession. Number two, it's not feeling sorrowful. Judas felt remorse, but he didn't repent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the apostle Paul provides us biblical insight into true repentance, what it is and what, it, what it's not. Feeling sorrowful does not necessarily indicate true repentance. The apostle Paul, he writes, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The Greek for godly sorrow can actually read the deep pain you feel in response to God dealing with you. How many's ever been dealt by God? God is dealing with Jonah and he is using the storm in the belly of a great fish. Jonah said in verse 2 of of chapter 2, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Godly sorrow is the deep pain our hearts feel when the Holy Spirit of God is dealing with our sinfulness. And God loves us too much to ignore our sinfulness and not deal with our sinfulness. And I'm so grateful that he does. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, God dealing with us, puts us in the right attitude so we can repent. It produces true repentance because it is a repentance that leads to salvation. That's true biblical repentance. A a repentance that leads to biblical salvation found in Christ in Christ alone. The pain you feel in response to God dealing with you produces real change deep within. And not just a change of mind, it is a change of heart. It is a spiritual turning, a total about face. It's turning from sin to the Savior. It is an inward response, not an external activity. And that's why it's such a beautiful act of, of worship. It's an expression of worship. You hear the word repent and we cringe. We, we think of it as a cuss word. It's a dirty word. No, it's a beautiful expression of worship. It's an inward response, not an external activity. It's a word we don't use today. It's what a lot of the millennials say is is one of those outdated words that we don't use in our vocabulary. It's outdated. And so there's so many biblical terms today that we don't use in our culture because they're out of style. But they're rich in in, in depth and and truth and meaning that gets lost. We try to find a different word and it really weakens 
the word that God uses. Both in the Hebrew and the Greek. Repentance. Church is not something to be feared or to cringe. It's a beautiful expression of worship. It's turning our hearts to God. The Greek word for repentance refers to a complete, radical, total change in a person's thinking, believing, and living. Amen. It is an inward response with real outward evidence. Fruit worthy of repentance. The Bible talks about fruit worthy of repentance. There's a, there's a real clear evidence, not only to you, but those who know you. Now, on the other hand, worldly sorrow is lamenting without repenting. This means someone is sorry because they got caught and now must pay the consequences. They're greed because of their personal suffering, because of their personal pain, not because they have sinned against the Lord and have, have offended and, and grieved him. In the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, when King Saul had conquered the Amalekites, we read how he disobeyed the Lord's instruction by sparing their king and the best of their flocks and herds. He was confronted by the prophet Samuel about his sin, his disobedience. As you read through the story in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul made excuses. He insisted that he had obeyed the Lord. He shifted the blame. You see, the sorrow of the world always shifts the blame. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 21 says, But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. This is, this is, Sam, this is Saul sharing with, with the prophet Samuel. It was, it was then that Samuel spoke these famous words um, to King Saul. They're found in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Behold, look! There's an intensity in that word. There's an intense focus. Behold, look with intensity. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. The prophet Samuel told King Saul in verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Ouch. Boy, does that punch you in the gut? Let me read it again. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. To say no to God. That's heavy, man. Whoa. That's just heavy. We read in verse 24 that Saul admitted to the prophet, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He asked Samuel to return with him to Israel. This was important to be seen by the prophet of God. But the prophet refused. If the prophet would have returned with Saul, that would have really looked good for Saul. It would have looked good for his, his reputation, would have been intact. 
God's prophet's with me. He approves of everything. And, but the prophet refused. Saul, in verse 30, pleads with Samuel, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, prophet of God, honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me. This is the sorrow of the world. He wanted to avoid public reproach to save face. He he wanted his reputation to remain intact. He confessed his sin, yet remained selfish to the very end. Then there's another king. When King David was confronted by the prophet Nathan over his sin, his reaction was totally, totally different. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, it says, I have sinned. David cries out, I have sinned against the Lord. The moment his sin was revealed, David became undone. He was a mess before God's prophet, but more importantly, before his God. He confessed saying in Psalms 51.4, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, almighty God. He cried out to the Lord, fasted, lamented, pleaded with God. He, he grieved before God's presence about the effect his sin had on other people. He took full responsibility for this for his sinful actions. I want to encourage you this week to read David's confession and repentance in both Psalms 32 and and Psalms 51. Here's the difference between the worldly sorrow of Saul and the godly sorrow of David. One is completely selfish and cares only about the personal cost of sin, how it affects the person who sinned. The other is... The the other is sorrow towards God and cares deeply about sinning against him and the hurtful impact his sin caused other people. Worldly sorrow is about saving face while godly sorrow is about saving grace. One's about pride, one's about humility. Here's what I call the three C's of biblical repentance. Number one, conviction. Deep within your heart. The Holy Spirit reveals the sin. And in this revelation from heaven, it produces deep conviction within your heart. Number two, confession from your heart. And number three, change in your heart. It's a matter of the heart, the affections of your heart, what your heart is pursuing, chasing after, or running from, or running to. As we read through Jonah's prayer today, we see Jonah Jonah change. He's moving from a place of rebellion to a place of repentance. He's moving from a place of being disciplined by God to a place of dedication to God. Let's pick up his story in Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. Notice his prayer was born out of affliction, not affection. 
He cried out to God because he was in danger, not because he delighted in the Lord. Now, he wants God's will simply because it's the only way out of his dangerous, life-threatening situation. Like so many people today, Jonah saw the will of God as something to turn to in an emergency, not something to live out every day in one's life by the grace of God, by the sufficient grace of God. Now, Jonah is experiencing what the pagan seal has experienced during the storm. He felt, um, he felt what it was like to perish, to be helpless, to be hopeless. As he dropped into the depths, God re- was reminding Jonah of what the people of Nineveh were going through and their sinful condition. They were helpless and, and they were hopeless, just like Jonah in the belly of the fish. Church, it's good, it, it's good for God's people, for us, to remember what it's like to be lost and without hope. Jonah needed to be reminded. And so do we. As we go through life and we get caught up with life and the cares of life, the distractions of life, we tend to get busy with life and forget our mission, God's call on our lives to make disciples as we go. Make disciples. Jonah said in in verse two, I cried to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. I love this, despite Jonah's rebellion, despite his wrong attitudes, and despite, despite he was calling out to God um, in his affliction and not out of his affection, God heard Jonah's cries for help. One word screams in my heart, grace, 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 great is thy faithfulness. Grace is the undeserving favor of God. Prayer is one of the constant miracles of God's grace in the believer's life. To think that our God is so great, he can hear the cries of millions of people all at the same time and respond personally to each one. A parent with two or three children often find, find it impossible to meet all their needs all the time, 24-7. But God can provide for all his children, no matter where they are and no matter what their needs may be. Church, God hears our cries for help in the darkest, stinkiest, helpless, in despairing places of life. Can we say it together? Grace, 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 God's grace. As Jonah prays, he accepts God's discipline. Look at verse three. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas and all the floods surround me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Here, Jonah acknowledges that God was disciplining him and and that he deserved to be disciplined by God. The sailors didn't throw Jonah into the stormy sea. God did, for you cast me into the deep. He wasn't bitter towards God. Jonah takes responsibility, and this is so critical. He doesn't put the blame on someone else. 
You see, church, how we respond to discipline determines how much benefit we receive from discipline and how long the discipline will last. I want to learn quickly. According to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, we have several options. We can despise God's discipline and fight. Verse 5 says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. We can be discouraged and faint. Verse 5 says, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. We can submit to the Father's discipline and experience the benefits. Verse 11 says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. The fact that God disciplined Jonah is proof that Jonah was truly a child of God. God was his father. Verse 8 says, but if you are without chastening, this is Hebrews 12, verse 8, but if you are without chastening, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Jonah was the son of God. He was a child of God. As Christ follows, we are sons and daughters of God. We are children of God. Church, be encouraged when the Lord disciplines you. Be encouraged. It's proof that you're his child. I want to pause here for just a moment and encourage parents. My wife and I, by the grace of God, have raised four children early on in our parenting. The Lord gave us this important insight about discipline. We saw discipline as an opportunity for discipleship. Praying and believing by faith that godly discipline would do exactly what the author of Hebrew promised. Yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who were trained by him. And I can remember one summer day, one of our sons was playing catch in the backyard with his cousin. And I was in another room doing some studying. And I heard my wife open the window and yell out, catch the ball in a different direction away from the house. I'm afraid you're going to break a window. Well, not even five minutes later, I hear, crash. And my wife yelling out, get in here right now. Righteous anger. I'm listening to all this in the other room. Our son comes in. She goes, go see your father right now. He's in room such and such. And so he comes in and he's shaken and he's teary-eyed and and I said, what happened? He goes, I was playing catch and, and the ball broke the window. <laughs> I said, no, please tell me what, what really happened. He goes, dad, we were playing catch and, and, and we broke the window in the kitchen. I said, no, please, please. Think about, think about your answer. What happened, son? What, what did you do? He goes, Dad. I said, no, son, think about, your, think about your answer. He goes, Dad, I told you. We were playing catch, and, and we broke the window with the baseball. I said, son, no, 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 no. That's not what you did. 
I said, you disobeyed your mother. And the result of that is a broken window. I said, let's talk about why God instructs us to obey him. Discipline is meant to disciple us. Amen? Well, some of you might want to know how I disciplined my son. Well, that's between us. God's discipline is not meant to be demeaning. It's not meant to discourage us or destroy us. It is meant to disciple us, train us. Its purpose is to make us more like Jesus. Mom and dad, the greatest ministry calling on our life is to disciple our children. There's not a greater work we can give ourselves to. There's not a greater work. In biblical discipline, Christ-signed discipline, discipline with an eternal purpose, produces disciples, followers, of Jesus Christ. It's all grace, church. Jonah was going in one direction only, down. In fact, he had been going in that direction since the moment he rebelled against God's plan for his life. He went down to Joppa, the scripture tells us, and down into the lowest part of the ship, the scripture tells us. He went down into the belly of the fish, the scripture tells us, and he went down into the depths of the seas, the scripture tells us. You see, when you disobey God, when you rebel against him, the only direction you go is down, down, down. God's discipline is meant to stop the downward direction and get you to look up. Where does Jonah look as he goes down to the depth of the sea? Look at verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Jonah looks up. He couldn't go any further down. Jonah looks up the temple in Jerusalem, the the holy temple in Jerusalem, the place where God was worshipped, was elevated, was built on the holy hill of Zion. The psalmist sings out as he travels upward to the temple for worship in Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2. It's one of the songs of ascent. It's like 15 or 16 of these songs of ascent in, in, in the Psalms. I love this one. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Where does he lift up his eyes but to the place where the holy temple of God is that same place that Jonah said, I will look again toward your holy temple. He was saying, I am turning back to you, O God. Church, God loves us so much that God will do whatever it takes to bring us to the place where we remember him. Although Jonah was a prophet, it had been a while since he had talked honestly with God. You know, it's amazing. I was thinking about this this morning. It's amazing and frightening how easy it is for us to go through life 
for days, weeks, and sometimes months without talking to God, without having an honest conversation with God. Isn't that so convicting? I'm going to end here. Join me standing, please. When King Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, he asked God for this special favor. We read it in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 38 through 40. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart, the true condition, and spreads out of his hands toward this temple, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, in forgive and act, almighty God, and give to everyone according to his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you have given to your fathers, to our fathers. Jonah claimed that promise. And then he surrenders to God's will and he admits that there were idols in his life. An idol is anything that takes away from, the, from God's Affection. Our affection towards God and our obedience that rightfully belongs to Him. Jonah had some idols in his life patriotism for his country. became an idol nothing wrong with it but when it becomes an idol when it robs God of the affection and obedience that he alone deserves and has the right to Jonah's hatred became an idol it robbed God of the affection and obedience that he had that was rightfully his Let's ask ourselves as we wrap up here today, what are the idols in our lives that take away from God the affection and obedience that rightfully belong to him? I'm throwing a lot of questions at us today. It's good to ask questions. It's good to ask God to search our hearts and to reveal anything that's not right. And so before we we close today, before we thrust into the week and all the noise and busyness and responsibilities and all those distractions that oftentimes keeps us from that place where we can really hear from God, Let's take a moment right now. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you today?